Welcome to Critical Cactus, where we talk about prickly subjects. You know, you got to talk about it. You got to get it out there. You got to put it in the public sphere. But you're, you're not out there. You're not alone. Welcome back to Critical Cactus. I'm your host, Adam Yax, and today is July 2nd, 2017. And with me today is my co-host, Tom Bagush. Hi, Tom. Howdy. And D-Man, Adam Dominguez. How are you, buddy? Hello. Good. Good, good. So uh, our topic today is about depression. There's a lot of myths and misconceptions and bad information around suicide. This is an important topic. This is a prickly subject. This is something, I mean, this is not something I think people can't afford to be misinformed about this because it literally is a life and death situation. How depressing. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about depression, and we're gonna talk about uh, some of this new science that's coming out and studies and what they show, and uh, kind of give some perspective on this. Um, maybe get rid of some of the stigma that is around depression in society today. Can't like depressed people just try not being depressed? Yeah, I think that's the problem. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's like the number one thing that you hear. In fact, I know as a kid growing up, that was what I was told. Just don't be depressed. Yeah. Don't be sad. Get over it. Yeah. And so I uh, I know that you guys have expressed in some of the previous episodes that you've had experiences with depression. I have um, not really um, experienced that I know of anything that I would think of as clinical depression. Um, I'm coming to the game a little late with my own biases about it. And uh, I was hoping you guys could help me understand some of the ways this is broken down and in, in, you know, the way people are, should be understanding it in today's world. Interestingly enough, I and maybe it's just because I've dealt with depression for so long, I'm more interested in what it's like to be you living a life with no depression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, because, I mean, when you deal with it, um, you know, from like a young age pretty much onward, it just becomes part of your life and you start to assume and, and maybe this is a you know a, a general problem but you kind of start to assume that everybody also battles with depression mm. how do you feel about that Tom? i grew up with depression um i Same think thing. i was probably eight the first time i was diagnosed really uh, by a professional with depression wow. um you know mm. so but it's weird because probably in the last six months i i'm on a medication Okay. And I don't think I'm depressed anymore. Wow. Congratulations. Um, I mean, I say that tongue in cheek, uh, you know, half serious, half joking. It's a completely different experience for me now. I hate taking pills. I hate sure. being on a medication. It's like, is am I really me or am I the medication? Am right, I, right, right, right. you know, um, you just make comparisons and, and, and find one that, that fits for you. And, you know, if I was diabetic... And I had to take insulin every day. Would I have a problem with taking insulin? Probably not, because that's what I need to get by. And, and you know, I, yeah, it balances your chemistry. You know, I don't yeah. claim to be an expert in depression. I'm just somebody who has dealt with it. Like I'm not an expert in automobiles, but I've dealt with them. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, and I was diagnosed when I was 17. Um. But I was actually diagnosed as bipolar or manic or whichever one it is now. Um, so for bipolar me, or what? Manic. Okay. 
So it, that's what they used to call it manic depressive. Yeah. Now they, they call it bipolar. Yeah, they okay. used to call it manic depression. Now they call it bipolar disorder. Oh, okay. Yeah. My episodes aren't as uh, extreme as, as some people, as some case studies as you've seen, but um, there is a definite like high and low that you ride. And yeah. like I, I've talked about this with therapists before, like you ride your high and you can ride a high for a really long time. And honestly, you feel like you're probably okay now. And then just out of nowhere, bam, like every, it, it's not even just like that everything sucks. It's more for me, it's more of a like, why bother? Mm. Like, why even bother with life? You just wow. kind of, you just kind of check out of reality. Well, it it is you know, the old saying, perception is reality, yeah. you know, so it, so it becomes your reality. Sure. You know? Um, well, um. I'm coming in late to the game. I know that there's a lot of psychology courses and things like that that they break things down into categories and and do things that help with diagnosis and everything. But um, I have the the standard how do I get to understand what's going on here type of a process, which is who, what, when, where, why kind of a thing, Um, the scientific ask questions in this sort of area. And... I first wanted to know kind of what it was, and then, um, which I know is a, there's no simple answer to that question, but I mean, to give me some orientation, uh, how many people are infected uh, or impacted, I should say, uh, infected, <laughs> impacted. I'm not going to catch it, am I? You, you guys get too close I to me right might. now. We're in a closed room. <laughs> um, who's at risk and uh, where is it more prevalent and less prevalent kind of thing? And, you know, why not ask that question of where, when? Um, when, do, when did these episodes uh, begin and uh, what the impact is, what, maybe what causes it. And uh, Anyway, so I had a lot of questions like that, and I'm hoping you guys can help me. But to give us some orientation, the, real quickly, the, the CDC analyzed behavioral risk factors in a surveillance system that's called the BRFSS. It's a survey data from 2006 to 2008 and found that uh, among 235,000 adults, in 45 states that 9% met the criteria for current depression and 3.4 met the criteria for major depression. This is self-reported? Um, or I think that's a big part of the whole problem is there's a lot of self-reporting. Yeah. And so I, I think over overarching uh, theme that I have found is that that self-reporting is a major problem with trying to understand how much of an impact there is. Um, but we know that we can assume that it's underreported as we go, you know, not yeah. overreported. I would agree with that. There's a lot of uh, people that are marginalized in society because of it, and they just would rather not say. So I don't want to go through a whole bunch of stats. I mean, I can really kill you guys with stats, but um, some of them I have laid out is kind of important to me to see how many people are impacted and uh, what's the risks. As you saw there, you know, they're saying 9%. And um, we can easily say one in six Americans. So that's uh, 17,000 or 17 million, sorry, Americans each year. And um, it is the leading cause of disability in the United States. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. It's also the 10th leading cause of death. Um, so I would have thought it would be higher. Uh, as far as the leading cause? Yeah. You, you underestimate the... Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, heart disease. I think maybe this is maybe this is true. controversial, but for me, depression to the point of disability is it's a little sketchy. I mean, because even having to deal with it myself, 
like depression is such a gray area. I mean, right. you can just go to your doctor and be like, I'm very sad. And as long as you play a convincing game, they're going to put you on disability. I mean, what if you're just lazy? Oh, man, there's this great there's, there's this great story. It's, uh, it's there's easier ways to game the system than, pr- you know, claiming yeah, depression. Maybe. But really? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's... So I've heard. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's It can be overwhelming. I do know that. And so you, you might be right. There might be some people gaming it. But um, with it being the 10th leading cause of death, that's it's in the top 10. And uh, obviously, there's a huge cost to a society in general. Um, it's a thirty to forty-four billion dollar cost to the U.S. in uh, in an annual basis. Um, That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are certain areas that are a little higher risk of mortality than others, um, but uh, yeah. So, so ignorance is a big, big problem because a lot of people just won't say anything because they know that there are so many ignorant people about it in the world that they just kind of keep quiet because of the stigma. Um, the evidence of depression in healthcare workers is comparable to that in the general population, though the rate of completion of suicide is higher for those healthcare workers. Uh, they might be you know, diagnosed with depression at the same rate, but for some reason their uh, suicides are a lot higher. So... That's not really shocking at all. Have you ever worked in a hospital? It's insanely <laughs> depressing. Well, I I don't know. I haven't worked at a hospital. I've been in hospitals, but yeah, I so know. So if you work, if but you you're saying, hospital, I mean, the same percentage of people are depressed, but they can they can successfully commit suicide better because they're more depressed. There's a level. Um, uh, maybe they just know how. They yeah. have access to the drugs that can do I it or know. something. I don't know. It, I you know, well, I don't know if that's the case, but I mean, I worked in a hospital for a year, and I worked in in an ER for a good portion of that. Ooh. You get an overwhelming sense of hopelessness, and there is anybody that has any kind of compassion. Which I mean, if you're a healthcare worker in the first place, there's a good chance that you have a healthy amount of human compassion. The endless amounts of misery that you see is draining. It, you know, and. It it comes from both it comes from you at both sides because, you know, somebody codes on the table and you're sitting there and you're working to to revive them. It it's not like in the movies. It's not like a twenty second thing. Like they will spend like an hour trying to revive a person. You are putting a significant amount of your time into bringing this person back to life. Sure. And it's it's already demoralizing. And then they pass. You know, you call it. And you you have to go through all you know all the medical procedures, which just it feels terrible. And then you have to go and you have to talk to the family. Oh. And you know the thing is is like in in some cases, and I'm sure in, in a lot of cases. And again, this is all anecdotal because this is what I experienced. Maybe it was like a homeless person that didn't know anyone, and you know there is no that step but that was like never the case the person that died was always some like 50 year old grandma who had like a thousand grandchildren that all loved her to death and you know you go and you tell the mom of all these grandchildren you know hey your mother is gone and then you know she just falls apart there on the floor and like all the kids are crying or even worse yet they don't know what's wrong and so they're like what's wrong what's wrong and you're trying to explain everything to everyone and it's just it feels it, it fills you with hopelessness. And it's funny because you could have just saved three lives prior. And and then you you come here, you tell them, I'm very sorry your grandmother has passed. And everybody falls apart. And then you got to go back to work. 
Yeah. Like you got to go and just, you know, kick it and get right back into work. You know, we got to go take somebody's x-ray or draw somebody's fluids. Like nothing happened. And it eats at you inside. Wow. Well, so, apparently it does because so you're saying that there's a level that there's a depression and then there's like a serious depression and then there's this. Well, think about it. You're already depressed. Now you're dealing with other people's depression. I mean, uh, misery yeah. loves company. You're, it's like this this fuel for your own depression. And you think life sucks. And then here's all these reasons for you to say, yeah, it does suck. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Screw it. I'm done with this. I'm just check out. <laughs> well, is exposure to that, um, is exposure to death? something that makes them a little bit more like all right you know like for me i don't have exposure to death i haven't really even had to deal with my own mortality or anybody really my close family they're all still here you know i mean i've had grandparents but well i had a traumatic event when i was 10 when my grandfather passed um you know i was incredibly close to him so it was traumatizing and Unfortunately, maybe, you know, maybe we should have, but as a family, we didn't really do anything about this 10-year-old Adam who has witnessed this, you know, this massive loss, and we just kind of kept going, and I'm certain that that's what really kind of pushed me over the edge as far as depression is concerned. Like, Mm -hmm. as a child, I was was pretty happy, but once I hit 10, um, fears of mortality crept in, um, and... It's not something that you normally think about, but when once once I did, that was pretty much all I ever thought about. And you know, one of the stories that I'll tell people is like I remember one when I did lose my grandfather. Um, I would I lost my ability to sleep at night. Uh, I was up till two, three in the morning consistently, and I would call my grandmother all the time because like now all of a sudden you know no one's safe, and the only thing I can put in my register in my mind is the older you are, the more likely you are to die. So. It was very important to me that my grandmother wasn't dead. Oh, yeah. I'd call her. I'd call her at all hours of the night, make really? sure that she was still alive. At and 10 years old? Yeah. Wow. You know, I am I was genetically predisposed to bipolar because it runs in my family. So it was probably doomed to happen, and that just triggered it really early on. Hmm. And it really messed up my early teens. And, you know, you're dealing with so many uh, chemical changes in your teenage sure. years yeah. that a lot of teenagers deal with depression in the first place. So, you know, just one thing led to another. Well, this leads to the who is, uh, you know, at an increased risk of depression. And the first thing is genetics. And my question to that is, you know, I'd really like to see some scientific information about why that is the case, like what specific genes are being passed or is it, there's always the, you know, nature nurture arguments and there's all these different things about that. But um, mostly what I found was it's genetic regardless of nurture. So if I have genes, I'm at risk? Yeah. I mean, I think if they're too tight, if they're too tight, it, it's definitely... That is depressing. Because people see you, they judge you, and then the next thing you know... You got the you, bulge. You really don't have any reason to live. Yeah. Um, no, but if you are twins and one family member is raising you and, you know, another family member is raising your uh, sibling in a different family, then the percentage of opportunity for it to turn into depression is the same so it doesn't so the nurture argument does so there's away. there's genetic factors there's environmental factors yeah childhood trauma trauma is number two but so i mean i'm looking at this list of one through whatever and uh just 
your anecdotal hit number one and number two and number three, and number three yeah. right away. I mean, number one is genetics, two is childhood trauma, loss of parent, sexual abuse or divorce, and number three is stress, stress grief. So bam, 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 you know, um, four is conflict, family, friends, and abuse is number five, I guess. I don't think these are in order in a way that somebody would say, oh, this is more or less, but um, just some of the things. Medication side effects is kind of low on that list, but it's not as if it's not real. And serious illness is a big one. Um, substance abuse and personal problems like isolation. You know, people are just isolating you out, being excommunicated in whatever social group you're from. So there's not one cause, but there are different factors which can affect you and play a role. In f- yeah, in yeah. That's some what people it, might be predisposed. Um, do we have a I definition? I think you guys know that more than I do. Do we have a definition of depression? Like, what is depression? I think it's a deep subject. The, defi- pe- the definition of depression is a very deep whole right. podcast about itself. Is, is it mental? Is it emotional? Is it uh, a chemical imbalance right. in your brain? The chemical part. How is do you problem. how do you measure it? Does mm-hmm. it? I mean, it's, is it truly subjective or right. is it objective? And I have seen that there are definitely MRIs that show increases and decreases in the amygdala as well as the uh, I forget what it's called, but um, that the MRI scans do definitely show there is. Uh, observable physical things that they can look at to see and um, and, and literally they can take two MRIs and go that person's depressed that's kind of impressive so it's objective in many many ways yeah um, now that's a, a percentage of, of success right that doesn't mean 100% success right. rate but, but a high chance that that person with a, a smaller amygdala or whatever um, it, it, there's also areas that get inflamed from what I found that inflammation can also be a sign of it where they can look at those types of uh, of pieces and determine that too. So there's subjective and objective uh, ways of looking at it. You know, what? what's always interested me is the fact that depression is such a complex, deep issue. I mean, because it, it has to deal with your brain. It has to deal with, with your mentality, your, your feelings, your emotions. And yet it is apparently so easily diagnosable. Um, your primary care can tell you you're depressed and and give you medication for that um, without any in, without any specialization based on your input right you tell them they and can't like put a you know thermometer under your tongue and go, right oh, no okay, but you, you know you say like oh, I feel sad sometimes and they're like all right well you know here's some Xanax or you know, Prozac Prozac but it's not that simple right is I feel but depressed. it is though that's my, my I know point. but that's that's somebody that's not well, fully diagnosed I mean you for a true <laughs> no is that not true because I mean I get sad but that doesn't I mean look we sad things happen to people. They, I mean, they're going to get bad, sad. Bad things happen to people. That doesn't right. mean they're depressed. I get it. So, you know, every, this is going to sound cliche and stupid. Every human is unique. Everybody's different. Everybody's got their own experience. Science, modern medicine, does not have a complete and total godlike understanding of the human body and how it works. Not at all. You know, what might be a trigger for you might not be a trigger for somebody else, but. I know me, I grew up in a house where we didn't talk about shit. We talked about nothing in my house growing up. Not just that, like not that shallow we, things. Little, yeah, not, like the not that we couldn't talk, of. but like, you know, uh, my dog died when I was eight. Okay. Never really talked about it. But you what know? would happen if it was in um, reverse? What if it was... Like, I feel well, like I only talk about deep things at my house. My kids, you know, we, if you're going to have a conversation with dad, it's probably going to lead into some, you know, philosophical, you know, conversation. And it's never some shallow conversation with me. Is that even worse? Even, you know, I mean. Well, along the same lines, we didn't talk about emotions. 
you know, we didn't talk about how we were feeling and what we were thinking. I learned very early to suppress all of mm. my emotions, you know, and so you've got this, uh, I've got this, you know, self-anger and self-hatred. And they say that, you know, self-anger is just, you know, when your anger turns inward at, your, at yourself, that mm. is what uh, manifests into depression. Really? And there's lots, okay. of, there's lots of different schools of thought. I don't know this uh, um, self-anger thing. You know, I, don't, I like myself I don't, a lot. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't claim to be, to be an expert, but, you know, I've heard, uh, you know, in one of the groups I go to, is it that that's the, that's the prevailing theory in my group that we see sometimes is that, you know, depression, one of the leading causes of depression is self-anger. Mm, wow, you know. leading causes. Well, that's going to lead into causes, so let's keep that on our mind here. Um, we did talk a little bit about those uh, increased risks. I'm just going to get through this, and then we can kind of spitball. Um, so the CDC analyzed behavioral risk factors. So this is behavior risks um, in that survey and found basically some percentages here. Um, the study noted an increased incidence of depression in individuals without health insurance coverage versus those who had coverage at a 5.9% versus 2.9% respectively. I'd like to point out that your sample size is almost a quarter million people, so we're not talking about a dozen or two people. This is 235,000 adults. Right, so almost a quarter million people. The so CDC won't put together a report with 192 people like we have. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. No, that's what I'm... I'm yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just want to so, call that out. Yeah, for sure. Well, what does this mean to you guys? Somebody without health insurance is at a 5.9. Somebody with health insurance is 2.9. I've stress. never honestly thought about it. I mean, yeah, stress. maybe stress. But like when yeah. when I was a kid, I obviously didn't care about insurance because, I mean... You're a 10. I, you I, had, the, I had the I had the opposite yeah. effect. I was a kid and I had uh, food poisoning once. Oh. I was uh, vomiting and defecating blood. Cool. And I refused to let my parents take me to the hospital because I knew we didn't How have... How old were you? Uh, I was in elementary school. I didn't gonna, want them to take me gotcha. to the hospital because I knew we didn't have the money to pay for it. Oh my God. You know what's funny is that growing I don't know up... why you would know that in elementary school. <laughs> well, actually, as a child, I was also acutely aware of our financial situation. Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, wow. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't throw anything away you know because my parents picked that up from their parents yeah you know well my, my point was as far as like with the whole health insurance thing even as a kid i wanted to try everything i could at home first to yeah. see if i could get better yeah and if that didn't work then then we would go to the doctor the doctor was always like the last thing or if if it was like out of their realm of control like when i got pneumonia as a kid, you know, my parents didn't try and fix that. They're like, okay, we got to get him to the hospital. Well, let's talk a little bit about the efficacy of uh, of all these solutions to this problem. <laughs> um, I don't know if hot oil is one of the ones that are helping depression, but certainly they have a list of things that they want to do. Um, and not the least of which is some of the alternative ones like you're talking about because they, they have... <laughs> They have a lot of alternative ways of helping somebody who's depressed, acupuncture and a lot of other ones. But um, the number one cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, um, it, it looks like that in my research has shown up as being the number one. I wasn't surprised to see that. I've seen that before. Um, but basically the idea here is to become aware of the negative thought patterns that you have, uh, which are uh, presumably those are the underlying cause of your depression and then learn different coping mechanisms to replace uh, them with more positive thoughts over time. Have you guys run across that? Absolutely. Um, I, I do a CBD class now. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so I started with individual therapy, and then I went into group therapy. Um, basically learning to, learning to get the mind to think about itself. 
Okay. Really? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like, why am I sad? Not just I am sad or oh. how do I stop being sad? I'm not certain that it works for everybody, but I can say that it's made huge strides for me because being able to, what is it, introspect, being able to look inward and see why I have these issues mm-hmm. and then like qualify or quantify those, it, it makes a huge difference. And even in the morning when I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not getting out of bed. Everything's terrible. I can stop for a second and think, why does everything feel terrible? Ah. And if you reflect on it for a few moments and take some cleansing thoughts, you can actually kind of start to move on with your day. Yeah. And again, that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Uh, some people have to turn to medication. I do not, I don't like taking meds. I don't like the way they make me feel. Um, it was very important to me that whatever therapy I be on did not include medications. Really? Yeah. Because of what, what does it make you feel? Foggy, oh, I think okay. is the best way to say it. You know, what kind of, are these the, uh, Uptick or uptake uh, suppressants, whatever they called. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what I was on, but SRIs. I, yeah. yeah, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. That's or it. Something. I've seen some research about something that sounded like that. Yeah. Um, you know, as a as a child, um, they made me feel foggy. As an adult, they started to make me feel foggy. You kind of feel like you're looking at the world through a filter. Hmm. Um, and I'm not a huge fan. I'd rather take life as it is. Well, was is it? Po- I'm not saying I know, but I'm just it just made me curious. Is it possible that that filter is reality, and you just don't like that? No, no, no it's something no. else. It's I, something no, else entirely. I, so I started taking Prozac about six months ago. Okay, and it has had a profound. I've been on. I've tried antidepressants before in my life. Nothing has really uh, had much of an effect. But I've been seeing a psychiatrist and a psychologist for the first time in my life. This medication has had a profound effect on me. Getting back to what D-Man says about uh, introspection and paying attention to how you're feeling. You know, I learned at a very early age to suppress all my feelings, Mm -hmm. all my emotions. Um, You know, we didn't talk about them. My favorite characters in Star Trek were Data and Mr. Spock, Mm -hmm. you know, because they had no emotions. Sure. And that's what I aspired to be. Um, And I, I realize now as an adult looking back that I probably grew up with PTSD which was compounded by a lot of military service. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the filter that I see the world through is very negative and very paranoid. As an adult, I'm learning to have emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm learning to, I, I want to say trust people, but it's like not necessarily trusting people, but not inherently being distrustful of sure. everyone. So one of the hardest things to do as a man, as an American male is admit that you need help. Mm-hmm. And yeah. reaching out for that help is very difficult. Men don't even like to ask for fucking directions. And you want to go to some... You want you want to go admit, hey, I'm depressed. I think I have a problem. Something's wrong. I'm thinking about hurting myself. I'm thinking about hurting other people. I'm developing a plan. Um, so there have been two times in my life where I realized that... I really needed some help. Um, the first time was I was in the military, and uh, I actually assaulted one of my subordinates. Hmm. Uh, they did something stupid right in front of me, and it wasn't so much that I put my hands on this kid; it was that I lost control mm-hmm. when I did it. He was wrong; I was wrong. Um, but I realized that I had anger issues, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of that was self-hatred, self-anger. Um, you know, and and I, I really didn't like the person that I was. I was trying very hard not to have any emotions. 
in the military, you know, anger issues get you promoted. Oh, um, yeah. The next day I went down to the base clinic and, uh, you know, started seeing a therapist like once or twice a week. It was, uh, it was good. It was an eye-opening experience. I made some progress. I thought I had made a lot of progress at the time, but looking back, I realized that I had just scratched the surface. Really? The second time that I was, I realized that I was in serious need of help was about two years ago. I was, um, you know, and I, I have been battling depression my whole life. That's just how I've always been. You know, since I've been on the Prozac, it's been like I can look back now with a different perspective and I can say, holy shit, I, I just see the world through a different lens. I see myself in a, in a different way. Like, holy shit, yeah, I have been depressed. And now I wonder, is like, is this what normal people are like? <laughs> you know what I mean? Is, is this what it's like to not be depressed? You know, and, and maybe it's um, because of, you know, whatever, abuse or environment or... You know, maybe my brain just doesn't make enough of this one fucking little chemical. Yeah. Um, now, what's the difference between you said you've taken antidepressants before and now you're on Prozac and it's different? Yeah. What? What? what isn't it an antidepressant? It is. Yeah. Okay. But I'm just saying, but I've never had this. You had had Prozac before? No, I, I had had. I don't know what I. They used to give Something out else. antidepressants like fucking candy. Whatever. Whatever it was in the military. So okay. when when I was a kid, the antidepressant of choice was Paxil. Okay. And. Um, that's what they put me on when I was a, a kid, and we went from Paxil to Prozac. Um, I didn't like either. About two years ago, I realized that my passing thoughts of suicide were oh. become were becoming less and less passing, and I was i i had I had moved from you know just uh, passively suicidal or, or you know depressed. You know that passing. Well, gee, maybe you know, is it fucking worth it anymore? Was going had had somehow morphed and manifested into I was developing a plan I was really? make, I was making arrangements I was which I had never done before you know I had never Jeez. I had never gotten that bad mm -hmm. and um I realized wait a minute something's got to change you know and um so I went through three or four therapists uh I got told that I was outside of their scope I got told I was beyond their abilities, um, which was disheartening, to say the least. But I finally found a therapist that uh, was able to work with uh, me and my specific needs. You know, PTSD. That was two years ago? or just that, that was two years ago. Yeah, so okay. I've, been, I've been seeing a therapist for... Um, well, how did you get that help? You called out of the blue? Yeah, I started... Did you just mention it to your doctor? Or you well, no, I... I, I I you know I, I went to Google I found some therapists that were near me nice people but just not it's like dating you got to find somebody that works for you you got to find um, somebody you click with somebody that understands you know if if your problems are stemming from sexual abuse then you know maybe you need to find a therapist that mm. has experience in in gotcha. treating that and working with that if it's but PT you got to find somebody who can tell you where you're stemming from in the first place right i yeah. mean you know process, but, I, like. but i mean if you if you know your problems are ptsd related from military experience then you need to go find a therapist that you, you like and you click with and has experience with ptsd yeah. and and yeah, yeah. that concludes my story thank you for listening oh, okay I want <laughs> so, <laughs> no, so so those are the two times uh, in my life that I have had to seriously reach out for help. Gotcha. So I do, I want to agree with Tom here at the end of his story, like 100% finding a therapist is like dating. You, you can't even find a specialist in the field of the issue that you're, you're suffering from. You have to find somebody that you can work with. Um, I've been through 
through several therapists and um, it's very disheartening because you you know you research these people you you know you call you talk and you, and you you set up a plan and everything sounds good and then you talk to them and you're like I'm not getting anything from this and then you start to think maybe therapy just doesn't work oh that's or, worse yeah yeah and it is worse and that happened to me in my teenage my teenage years and my 20s I'm like this doesn't work like therapy is just nonsense hmm. um, and now here I am in my, my mid 30s and I found a therapist it was I was already going in with like a negative attitude I'm like I know therapy doesn't work I'm gonna go talk anyway and and we clicked like there was this this doorway you know that that I've never achieved with with a therapist before Really? Yeah, and I've seen psychologists, and I've seen psychiatrists, and I've seen like counselors, which is, you know is a different a different type of. You need gynecologists though. No, no, no gynecologists. Okay. You you have to find somebody that works for you. You cannot make it work. You've got to find somebody that you click with. Like and like Tom said again, it's just like dating. Yeah, and if you don't click, don't take it personally. Yeah, and if you don't click, don't mm. try and make it work. Don't just continue to see that person. And don't don't feel bad if that doctor doesn't work for you. Like that, you you're never going to see them again. You know, they they understand. They don't care. They've got other patients that they can help. There are different types of depression. Like listening to Tom talk about his depression. You know, he dealt with a, a lot with like self anger. Um, definitely not something that I've ever worried about. If anything, I might be a little like nihilistic. Um, when I was a kid, I was an emotional wreck. What does that mean, nihilistic? Don't care about nothing. Okay. Oh no! I thought he was—he was raised by the Nile. It's a river. You're—you're you're Egyptian? No. So um, I didn't deal with with anger pretty much at all growing up. Um, I everything always just made me sad. You know, I remember as a little kid, like the the smallest things would just kind of break me down. But like, I never—well, I can't say never. I very rarely resorted to force um, or. What resorted do you mean force? I wasn't physical. Um, I was never like, I wouldn't accost people. Oh, okay. Um, maybe I could use some pretty sharp words, and I, I'm still probably uh, guilty of that. But um, just all in all, I, I didn't get angry. When people make me angry, I actually start to shut down emotionally. So instead of angry, you just kind of get like a meh from me. When I was a kid, I was like an emotional wreck, you know. Um, I, I could see something or, or process something and it would just have me like a gibbering mess on the floor. Like literally. Really? Like yeah. an anxiety based? Stress based? Um, um, both. Okay. <laughs> um, I actually deal, I, I have like, an issue with anxiety I didn't even realize I had until I got sick. But um, yeah, I, I would like to point out that a lot of these emotional and psychological, uh, what do we, we want to call them? Issues, problems. Yeah, issues uh, is fine. Yeah, issues um, can have physical manifestations. Absolutely. You know. Oh um, sure. You know, hair loss. Uh, you know, obesity. I yeah. ate. I ate my feelings. You know, weight loss, weight 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 gain. I mean, um, when so, too like much when, sleep, not enough sleep. Yeah. When they yeah. say that you have problems with appetite, like that can actually swing either way. You can lose any will to eat anything, or like I said, you can eat your emotions, which was a problem that I suffered from from a really really long time. Yeah. As I started to grow older, um, I went from emotional mess to, like, emotional black hole. Um, I started to not really feel anything at all, ever. Like, nothing would phase me, and it seems like a really great attribute until you realize that nothing positive phases you either. All right. Oh, yeah, I've been there. When you say you were on the floor, I mean, I'm picturing a, a 
a woman just lost her child. Yeah. Type sad. Like yeah. just physical Absolutely. sadness. Like that level of sadness. Absolutely. For no reason. Right. Just chemically you have matched her her chemistry. Well, and for me as a in like, you know, when I was eleven and twelve and it happened a lot, most of the time it was because I was missing my grandfather. Um I, you know, I would be doing something like just, just anything, you know, like playing with a stick. I don't know. I'm just trying to come up with an idea. Whatever kids do. Yeah. And like yeah. all of a sudden it would trigger some memory and things would just start to flow out of control. I'm like I'm never going to see him again. And you know, all these other things. And then there's like, there's no reason to continue going. And then bam, you're just on the floor. I mean, it just, it crushes you. You can't do anything about it. You just there existing and as a kid you can't explain this to anyone yeah you, you don't have the vocabulary yeah um, well, especially you don't have the life experiences to know you know, it's not supposed don't to have the way. experience but when you also when you grow up in a house where you you don't you just don't talk about feelings you don't talk about emotions you don't talk about you know whatever whatever stresses you out and how to deal with those things in a healthy positive way you end up coping with it in whatever way you can yeah you know in in my case it, it manifested itself into an addiction which i you know i didn't realize i had until i was you know well into my 30s you know but i i agree with you on being the emotional black hole i liked that because it was safe i liked that because it was predictable i liked yeah. that because it was something i could control sure. it was something that i could uh wrap what is my this your addiction no, I'm just I'm just saying turning yourself into an emotional black hole. You could do that at will. I've done that my whole life. Here I am as an adult learning how to make friends, learning how to emotionally connect, learning how mm-hmm. to have feelings and recognize what I'm feeling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How am I feeling today? Why am I pissed off? A huge leap for me is just recognizing that I'm having an emotion. And then, at all. Yeah, at all, period. And then the second part of that is trying to identify what it is because I, I don't really have much of a base of comparison you know yeah. I don't have a frame of reference and to top it all off you know I've got a 14 year old son so it's like I'm trying to teach him how to be emotionally and mentally and spiritually healthy while it's something I barely know how to do myself sure you know well that's parenthood oh okay <laughs> thanks that's not the guy for everybody. Thanks for that. Yeah. Except unless you don't realize it, in which case... Yeah. yeah. You know, so I, I'd like to talk a bit more um, about the stigma behind depression. Just need to take a quick break to mention our sponsor, eCampus. Do you have textbooks? Well, sell them. Shop Shipping is free. Uh, get paid or get an in-store credit for books that you need for the next class that you have, uh, go to criticalcactus.net forward slash ecampus and sell your books today. Now, back to the show. Okay, so back to what I was saying. Stigma. The stigma behind depression. Um, so the the first we, thing that I... Are we talking d- depression specifically or just mental health issues in general? Sure, let's talk about mental health in general. Okay. Um, so first of all, when you deal with depression or any kind of mental illness, um, it's really hard to open up and share that with other people. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, um, actually, the, fun, the really funny thing is, you guys just did it. Um, when you start trying to open up about mental issues, the very first thing people do is turn to comedy. Um, yeah. If, if you say, like, I have issues with, 
they're like, ha ha, that's just Let's like, lighten the mood here. Light, a lighten, bit. Yeah. lighten the mood, or maybe that's nervous energy coming out because I, I, people can't talk about it. I make a specific effort to try to lighten the mood usually because I'm expecting to be able to stay focused and still get the information out. I right. Th- I think comedy is a good vehicle for talking about things that make us uncomfortable. So it yeah. is, for and good it isn't, but, but the thing is, is like, so, okay, let's let's look at this from a different point of view. Let's say somebody lost their leg for whatever reason. Shark attack. Sure, shark attack. It might be funny. You might be able to come up with something humorous, but usually your first reaction... They could be a pirate for Halloween. Your knee-jerk reaction is not Your comedy. knee-jerk reaction? Ah. <laughs> you guys are killing me. Your... Your first impulse is to, as a normal person, is to uh, express sympathy or empathy. You know, right? That sucks. Their leg is gone. Right. For not, whatever reason. Not. You know, if it actually happens to someone, the first thing you're going to say is not going to be, "Ah, you can be a pirate for Halloween." You know, maybe once. I don't know. Maybe I. I, I don't see. I mean, not if it's a stranger or no. somebody, right. You know, an that, acquaintance from point. the office. If you it's, you need to gauge. But let's how make sure they, the variables stay the same from one comparison to the next, because the same thing goes. If you know the person who has mental illness you know whether or not comedy is something that would help or not. That is not true. Like, dealing with it my entire yeah. life, when you open up to somebody about it, which you you really try not to do, a lot of times the the initial response is, like, the worst possible response. It's comedy yeah. or it's dismissiveness. M- yeah, minimizing, trivializing, yeah. just get well, over it. Or it, it could be interpreted that way. You know, know here's what you need to way. do just... You know, yeah. if you're using oh, the word, if God. you're using the the J word, just you just <laughs> need to get over it. Here's what you just need to do. Yeah, just just stop talking right now. Wow. Um, you know, if I break my leg or if I have my leg bitten off by a shark, whatever, that's something I can post about on Facebook. Right. You know what I mean? I can put that on social media, whatever. Uh, but can I say, oh, I'm feeling suicidal today. Oh, I'm thinking about hurting myself. Oh. Uh, hey, I got this great new medicine and it's really helping me. That's not something I can really, you know, I don't feel comfortable putting that on Facebook, you know, yeah. be- because of society at large or prospective employers. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're looking for another job and what are they going to do? They're going to go uh, scan your social media. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, and no, so yeah. it's like, oh, do, do we want to hire this guy who has <laughs> mental health issues? <laughs> You know, wow. and it's funny because uh, one one of the things you just said about am I feeling suicidal today? When you deal with suicidal thoughts, you know they always tell you to to reach out to somebody. But the the concept of suicide, at least in our society, is very cavalierly thrown around. Like someone's like, oh, I spilled yeah. my coffee. I could just kill myself. Like. There, there's a 99% chance that that person is just reacting or overreacting or joking. But, like, well, when apparently, you, if there's six people at a Starbucks and all of them have that happen, one of them means it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so we don't talk about depression or other mental issues. Uh, so that makes us uncomfortable talking about them. It makes it hard to talk about. And so it's this horrible, vicious feedback cycle that we just, you know, so the only way to get out of it is to have that uncomfortable conversation this is one of those things that i I kind of feel passionately about maybe because it actually happens to me but i can't think of a easy or decent or even difficult way to resolve the stigma of depression because talking about it is really hard when you have it um even knowing that other people are more accepting like if they were more accepting about it you just don't want to talk about it like you just internalize 
for me, just so you guys know, I mean, I, I'm not aware of how to act or react. You know, it's almost like the first time you're at a gay bar. You know, <laughs> you don't know what. That was such a long time ago. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> you're, uh, you know, first time walking around. What do I say? What do I do? And I'm that way right now. And I don't. Um, I mean, I think about comedy as a way to lighten it, to make yeah. it so that it's a little bit more doable. Yeah. And I'm not arguing that that is a way to do it. If somebody tells me, you know what, absolutely, that is definitely my trigger for making me feel bad. But the, that, that was tasteless. That, that was, was tasteless. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, that's not my intention, but now I know. You right. know what I mean? I didn't well, if you if you turn to comedy when somebody tries to tell you something, there's a good chance you're trying to make yourself feel better. Probably. Uh-oh. <laughs> Um, because you're not comfortable with very with good the, point. with the conversation, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's something like those that deal with depression kind of need to also understand. Like you can tell someone that you have issues, but you can't expect them to understand the issues that you feel. Um, so you also have to. It's a two way street, uh, just like any conversation. Um, and it, it is probably a good idea to try and share your feelings with people that don't suffer from depression because like you can do a misery loves company i'm sure tom and i could just stand here all day talking about our depressions with each other yeah and like we'll definitely commiserate and i will empathize significantly more than adam will because we've both been through something but we're not necessarily going to help each other either because hang on a second so we first met each other what three years ago? Yeah, more than. And this is the first time any of this shit has come up between us. Right. You know what I mean? And it and it took a podcast s- talking specifically about that to get the ball rolling. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just not something that comes up in everyday topic. It's not something that just you casually drop when you're well, all playing cards <laughs> at lunch. You know? When I when I think of depression, um, there was a few years ago a, a commercial for an antidepressant that I think made it, it explained depression like in the best possible way visually was it that purple thing the it was purple? the guy that put on the, like the happy face suit like they're just sad faced and then they go into their closet and they pull out an outfit with a smiley face on and they put it on I think so I think yeah yeah like that was that was perfect yeah. I'm like yes that is it really like yeah cause you can walk around and people I mean just cause you're not smiling doesn't mean you're you're not happy right, right. but you can tell yeah. the difference between like and mm-hmm. and I, I know I know nobody saw my visuals my visual they uh, get it but yeah yeah um, when you're dealing with when you're truly struggling with depression the first thing you do is learn to hide it really yeah you you do not do you hide it from yourself yeah 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 you oh, hide yeah. it from everybody but you've put on this this fake this face you put on a, a mask. And it might be an angry mask, it might be like a ho-hum mask, it might be a smiley face mask, but it's not what you really are underneath. Well, there's so many comedians who have committed suicide. Are their happy faces just so well-practiced and so incredibly good that they're just so damn funny? I'm thinking of Robin Williams, for example. Yeah. Is his is his comedy a mask the well, whole they time s- and it just they say that the best the all the best comedians are depressed because they they work from that place of darkness mm. well you're pretty damn funny yeah well yeah i am very funny, funny. looking no i'm i'm adorable correlation is not causation well let's talk about correlation causation because um it looks like causes depression is thought to involve changes in receptor neurotransmitter relationships in the limbic system as well as the prefrontal cortex the hippocampus and amygdala 
Serotonin and norepinephrine are thought to be the primary neurotransmitters involved, but dopamine has also been related to depression. You I, guys I understood said, some of those words. You guys, I, yeah, like there's a, that's a lot of deep, deep cause, but um, this is a, this is a, this is an illness that is fatal. Um, in 2005, 1.4% of all deaths worldwide were, were attributed to suicide. So suicide being 1.4% of all deaths, it doesn't really matter if you know the number of people out of that population were depressed. You know that 1.4% of the deaths were attributed to suicide. They're not, they're not committing suicide unless they also fall into the percentage of you know, people who are depressed, correct? I mean, I, I mean that's got to be a pretty damn accurate number of uh, that those people were depressed. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a it. Well, you can don't commit be suicide because you're happy. Well, well, it says here the real number is unknown since. But I mean, underreporting is pretty. You know, yeah, underreporting suicide that was made to look like an accident or right. You know, you've got a fatal diagnosis and you just think it's the easier way to go out. I mean, it's probably that a, might not be depression. That might just be logical thinking. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but if, I mean, we're talking about killing yourself. Yeah, you know, and, well, you, and, and you know, you guys say this has been the thing that's been bothering you guys since <clears throat> you know you were young. I have never, ever had a thought uh, of committing suicide. No. See, and to me, that's baffling. Like, I, you just assume that everybody. No, else it's not like you said. You said, "Oh, sometimes you have those passing thoughts, the not serious yeah. ones." I'm like, no, 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 no. No, yeah, <laughs> well, I do it all the time. Yeah. Really? So I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'd lucky enough for me, or maybe unlucky. I don't know. I'm sure Adam's going to have an opinion on this. Oh uh, yeah. Um, the reason why I was not suicidal when I was younger is because I was raised very Catholic, and when you're Catholic, that's a mortal sin. Yeah. Yeah. You. You. There is no redemption for right. suicide. You, you will go to hell. Um, all I'm saying is that as a kid, as a young adult, um, the things preventing me from committing suicide was my religious background. I did not want a chance going to hell I didn't want a chance not getting into heaven and seeing the, those loved ones that I had lost um, it was too important to me um, as a young adult or as a as a more mature adult the things that tried that stopped me from suicide were still slightly a slight fear of hell because the whole what if is terrifying okay. um, but more so um, trying to find reasons to live and like consistently daily waking up and saying alright, why should I bother making it to tomorrow? Well, there's a movie coming out in a month, so I need to at least stick around to see that. You haven't even watched all the seasons of YouTube yet. There are no YouTube seasons. <laughs> oh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on like season four there's of just Russian dashcam videos alone. This season made up by your arbitrary mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, everything's arbitrary if you think about it hard enough. Well, that's true. But anyway, back to what I was saying. Yeah, so like you 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 find reasons to live versus reasons to die. Yeah. Um that's good. And then, you know, as you get older, you start to appreciate or I started to appreciate the consequences. Like committing suicide is a solution for me. Um, what that does not resolve is all the issues that it'll cause for my family. Regardless of how bad I ever feel, I could not do that to somebody else. And that's what kind of kept me going. Well, that's because you care what other people think. Right. Yeah. I, I had not reached that point where I did not any longer care what other people thought. And yeah. that, that's, that's fortunate for me. I have reached out to people before, but I don't actually tell them I'm feeling suicidal. I just say I need to talk. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes that's enough. Well, I mean, thus far it's been enough. 
um, just to remind yourself that there's somebody else out there and that they even care about you is sometimes enough. I feel a lot of lion minds and the things that I want to talk about. I mean, I, I want to talk about the mysterious world we live in and how much that intrigues me and how much that just the, the curiosity of life the idea that George Carlin says, you know, you, you're here and you don't have to be, but you've got a front seat to the psycho ward here, you know? I mean, everybody is crazy. Yeah. And yeah. why not just strap in and just take notes? He's like, I, he decided, George Carlin decided to not participate later on in life. He was just like, I'm not going to participate in this, but I am going to sit back and take some notes. There's a really good, uh, there's a couple really good interviews of him talking about that and how he's got this front row seat to the crazy world that is the human race and he wants to just check it out, you know, and just observe. And you talked about having something to live for. My curiosity about how things work and what's going on never ends. It's not like, you know, I go, oh, okay, that's cool. I got the answer to that. It just keeps happening. I don't have a choice. I have, you guys talk about intrusive thoughts and how they're negative and how they hurt you. Mm. I have like the opposite. I mean, not to say that that's good, obviously, relatively, but I can't stop thinking about why this does what it does. How does the sun really work? How does this particular flower... Magnets, man. How do they work? <laughs> and how can they heal your elbow when it hurts so bad? That's the thing. You were wearing it on the wrong wrist. Oh, okay. There's this there's this curiosity about life, and I think George Carlin had it too, and I see it in you, D-Man. I know that you're curious about how things work. Um, but I, I don't know if that's the, the... Obviously, for me, that's what lights my fire is that curiosity about life and understanding how these things are beautiful and why why in the world that painted paintings are a big thing for me when I found paintings um, you know seeing a 16th century artist and the last stroke that they did on a particular garment it's it just just throws my brain into levels that I can't comprehend so you know? I, I will say um, you can have all that and still <laughs> suffer from depression sure yeah sure um, one of the things that my, my therapist said to me, um, and you know, maybe, maybe Tom had a similar experience or maybe not, but, um, I am very self-aware mm -hmm. and when I talk to my therapist, I tell her self-aware or self-conscious, self-conscious, self okay. you know, which, whichever you want to say, okay. but Cause I, I would say that I'm very self-conscious, but I'm not very self-aware. No, I'm no, I'm, I'm self-aware. So what, what I mean by that is I have a list of problems and um, I go and I talk to a therapist and normally the therapist will say, you have this list of problems. I'm actually aware of, of what's wrong with me. I even know how to quote unquote fix it. I just don't do it. Mm -hmm. um, like for instance, so, I'm, you know, I was aware that I had a, an eating disorder. A lot of people are not aware of the fact that they have an eating disorder. And I was even able to, to pinpoint where it, it stemmed from and what I was doing to perpetuate the cycle. And that's not something that a lot of people do. Just because something is simple does not mean that it is easy. Yeah, that's mm. a good point. I mean, those two hobbits had to drop that ring in the mountain. Seemed very simple, right? Not easy, though. No. 
Thank God, because otherwise the movies wouldn't have even come out. Yeah. I mean, they could have just dropped him off from the Eagle. Like, hopped on an Eagle, flown over real quick, dropped him off. I know. That, that like whole thing is, it's a big thing on the internet, too. Like that a 10-minute problem. <laughs> yeah. They've been over with Uber. Uber. Yeah. Lyft. Something. <laughs> Going back to comedy. Um, but, I mean, you guys are making me feel, like, completely and totally inadequate about this conversation i mean i can give you stats you know i could be like it is fatal uh the real numbers unknown just stop okay Mm. feeling inadequate feeling alone feeling other feeling isolated that is at the core Mm. of depression you have to break out of that and and again easier said than done right how do you connect with other people how do you get that deep meaningful conversation going and it's hard to do because people are going to judge you and you have to make yourself vulnerable yeah um and nobody wants to do that right nobody wants to put themselves out there you could put some of it out there on facebook but everybody wears a mask real quick i just want to point out that facebook is one of the worst things that have ever happened for people with mental health issues really absolutely i would would do a whole podcast about that is there a study about that because they they talk about the fact that so there are two types of people that post on facebook the primary one that you see are the people that post how fantastic their lives are lies leading people that are already depressed to feel that their lives are inadequate um, so you go on Facebook, you feel ho- you already feel awful about life. You go on Facebook and you see that all your friends are only ever having an amazing life. I'm on vacation in Hawaii again. With my husband or wife that I absolutely love 100% of the time. And we're rich. And we've never fought about anything. Our kids are beautiful. And look at our patio furniture. It's so pretty. The other side of Facebook is everything is always awful all of the time. Uh, <laughs> so it's bipolar. Yeah, those people that are um, that are constantly posting about how terrible their life is. Oh, looking, this meal sucks. I got uh, another flat tire. They're not looking to have their lives improved. They're looking for sympathy, and sympathy is very dangerous. Wow. Um, Wait, sim- why is sympathy dangerous? Sympathy can be dangerous because it is an admonition that your life does, in fact, suck. It is, it's like vindication. If I feel that my life sucks all the time and I go online and I tell everyone that my life sucks sometime and all I get is sympathy, like, I feed off of that. Which makes me wonder now, am I that asshole who's always posting the amazing things on Facebook? 27% of the world is on Facebook. Yeah. I believe it. My Facebook actually said Happy Thanksgiving for five years. That's how long it took <laughs> me to actually start oh, using that's it. Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, there's a couple of Facebook uh, studies. Some of them are, can we identify people who are depressed by their f- Facebook posts? And somebody has concluded a certain percentage of uh, success. The f- social network has been linked to a surprising number of undesirable mental health consequences, depression, low self-esteem, and bitter jealousy among them. Now a new study in the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology finds that not only do Facebook and depressive symptoms go hand in hand, but the mediating factor seems to be a well-established psychological phenomenon, quote, social comparison, quote. Social comparison, yeah. Yeah. If you want to know what's going on in my life, there's two little babies screaming their heads off back and forth, throwing food at each other. Aren't you lucky? Yeah, and I am, you know? Yeah. I I feel very lucky. So, um, but am I going to post that, you know? the food in the face and the hair and all that stuff no i'm gonna post them once they're cleaned up I yeah because it's just kind of old school so yeah these studies are showing you are correct facebook so is definitely not good for the even though illness. we're using facebook to try to connect with our friends our family our fellow people right 
we use Facebook and it ends up having the opposite effect. It ends up isolating us. It ends up making us feel more alone. And we end up feeling uh, worse off than we did before. So you have literally the best computer scientists in the world trying to figure out how to keep you on Facebook for 30 more seconds yeah. every day. And it is... Well, it, like the, the it, people who do the research for Candy Crush and games like that, yeah. man, they really look at your do- dopamine levels, your serotonin levels. They want to know how to keep that high and how do you keep you wanting to come more because that's the drug. Yeah. You I know, mean, how do you stop this isolation? How do you get past feeling alone? How do you make... Especially when you got to go to Facebook as your social group and you can't yeah. do that. Right. Because, like that's supposed to be the fix. You know, so... By the way, I, I do want to point out I am guilty of something similar. I don't use Facebook, but I do play an MMO, which is the same concept. Well, yeah. Well... Well, you mean the dopamine fix on a regular basis? Kind yeah, of thing? absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, from multiple levels there, um, because there's the the reward system, and, yeah, yeah, and then there's the fact that you're talking to so many other people. Yep. Um, so you can get your ideas out there, and again, it's the internet, so you enjoy internet anonymity. Yeah. Well, but at the same time, I mean, maybe you have a group of regular players that you get together with, and maybe you've never met them in real life. Maybe you have, but. You can still develop meaningful... How my wife and I started out as pen pals. You know, you can develop meaningful relationships with people and not be face-to-face. Yeah, I I was in prison, and and we were... No, I'm just kidding. I was in the military. I was overseas. It's not even that. I'm like, who writes? What what year yeah. is this? 1862? I, <laughs> I tried to hold on to a pencil the other day, and it was just like... How, it hurts, how, right? What, what do you do? And now you don't work. even have to type. It's all just voice. You know, you just speak yeah, into your, right. your phone. I'm waiting so, for the next level where you just think. I'm sorry, Tom. What were you saying? The fifth time we interrupted. I don't remember. Good. No, anyway. Good. So I want to I want to give a shout out to my friend Andrew Jones over at uh, the Ripple Effect. He mm. is a veteran, and 22 veterans a day commit suicide on average. Mm, um, wow. So there are populations which are more vulnerable. We to talked suicide. about that. The healthcare workers. We we also talked about you know reaching out for help. So when we talk about veterans, we talk about anybody. When are you ever taught not to ask for help? Don't get me wrong. It's hard to ask. Nobody likes admitting they don't know something or they Mm -hmm. can't. And that extends into the military specifically. You know, people feel isolated, feel alone. And that does lead to suicidal ideation. That leads to suicidal acting out. When are you ever taught not to ask for help? How do you start that conversation that says, hey... Something's wrong, man. Something ain't right. I need a hand. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And what do you do when somebody says that to you? Sleep it off. You'll be better in the morning. Yeah. It's very tempting to do that and to think that, especially for me. I mean, I am basically that the nemesis of what you guys are talking about because I don't know how to react i don't have that i don't have that, uh, that history in my head that's not necessarily a bad thing though so um from a personal from a personal story i was i can't think of a better way to say it i'm gonna say i was a sympathy farmer you know anyone that i'd meet and i'd say my life is awful please tell me that you understand that my life is awful and they'd be like yeah adam your life is awful and i be like thank you and then i i met my best friend i i started the cycle again with this with this uh sympathy farming and she's like, I mean, you actually just kind of sound like a loser. Have you thought about trying to do anything about your life? Nice. <laughs> yeah, don't be a loser. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, she didn't say it like that. She was much more empathetic. But she was not going to accept that 
she was not going to be my host to my parasitic thoughts. Um, my choices were to work on it or to move on to a new host, but I actually happen to really like this person. So, um, I decided to work on it. Um, and she was very supportive. You know, she was very, very supportive in helping me move forward. Um, and you know, if I fell down, she would help me get back up again, but at no point did she ever turn to sympathy. And that, that was very, very important in me climbing out of that particularly incredibly deep hole. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to say the things. I just care about you, you know? I mean, right. that's all I can do is say, hey, I care, and I'm excited about life, and I do things about it. Honestly, I wake up in the morning going, okay, how many of the things that I need to get done can I get done? You know, like I have a list of cool things I want to do every day. I want to paint. I want to, you know, do a podcast. I want to clean the car. I want to play with the kids. I want to do all these things, and I want to drag you along with me. Slow the hell down. You're well, making the rest of us look uh, bad. No, I don't. I don't but you know what? I don't think I'm more motivated than anybody else. The really thing don't. is, is like I can honestly say That's that the worst part that if if I had met you in my mid twenties, Adam, that you probably would have been that person that helped me because you don't lack sympathy. However, you do. You're you're motivated to get things done, and like you just said, I'll drag you along with me. And that helps. Okay. You know, like... It can, yeah. You know, if you're like, hey, I want to do stuff, you should also be doing stuff. Yeah. Like, it motivates that person to be like, oh, okay, maybe I should do some stuff. Yeah, see, I don't know. I don't know. I, I yeah. mean, somebody... You guys have to let me know. Like, that's a good thing. That's a bad thing. Every, everybody's how, different. Everybody's unique. Well, we, we have... We have the only I've thing had chemical I emotions before. I know what chemical <laughs> emotions can do. You know what I mean? Like, I've been in conversations and thought, wow, I'm way more angry right now than I should be. My emotion chip is defective. Right. I do listen to uh, these podcasts as I edit them, and I'm amazed at what I miss. You know, when I listen back at what's happening, I'm like, oh, I didn't catch what so-and-so said or so-and-so didn't catch what somebody else said. Or, you know, it starts to become obvious when you when you listen to the whole conversation in great detail later. Like, wow, I have got to work on my listening skills. So, <laughs> like, so don't call me yet. Let me work on them first. <laughs> like Tom just <laughs> said, don't minimize and don't trivialize. That's that's the best possible advice you can give anybody about anyone. If you have a friend and if you consider that person your friend, it does not matter how long or how well you've known them. If they come to you one day and say, I have these mental issues and I want to talk to you about them, just listen. And in your mind, you might be thinking like, wow, what a load of crap. This person has the best possible life or this person has <laughs> never even sort of looked depressed. Just listen. Try and, and keep the judgment to yourself. What they're going through may or may not be quote unquote real to you, but it could be very real to them. Sure. And that's, you know, you, you talk to somebody and like, there's, there's a gal I know she's beautiful. You know, she's intelligent. Everything seems like perfect in the world. She, she struggles with depression. And like the first thing you want to automatically say is there's no way you could be depressed. Like, what are you sad about? Like, Oh, your life's too perfect. But well, it, <laughs> perception is reality, you know, and sometimes depression or a mental issue becomes the filter, the lens through which we see the world. Now we talked previously about building houses, right? And we start oh, yeah. building these belief houses, these uh, belief structures, I these like systems that, belief that, houses, yeah. that 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 you know they they basically dictate our entire worldview. Um, you know, we start building the foundation for that when we're a kid. Mm, you sure. Know? And some people have great houses, and they grow up in healthy families, and there's discussion, and there's 
disagreement and everybody has their own individual person and there's rights you know you you have you know the right to be your own person well right. not everybody grows up having a great house or a great foundation with which to see the world and so you know you might be a little mistrustful of people or you might be yeah. you know a little depressed or a lot depressed conversely you know? like i actually had a really great childhood and i still grew up screwed up you know and, and <laughs> i was thinking about that too like you said that gorgeous you know yeah, has her yeah. life screwed, but you if know, it's genetic it's, it's, or it's a chemistry. chemical yeah, imbalance, some can be, or can be a chemistry. doesn't matter why. You know, I know some Just people in my family who ha who struggle with it, and they believe because of the generational thing that it's just something you're supposed to get over. You know, yeah, just don't be depressed. Thoughts, yeah, yeah you think know, thought, positive thoughts. And pray a little right. bit more. Do what you got to do, but um, you know, it's you. It's, it's yeah, it's your <laughs> problem. It's your problem. It's you. It's something you did wrong. It's something yep. you got to change to do it right. And if only you were to, you know, see the world in the way it really was that you, you know, if you only knew that you were beautiful, if you only saw the way the world really sees you, you would go, oh, if I guess you I don't just, have but the, yeah, if you just, but you, which is what you said, but the reality is there's chemistry involved. I and mean, that's what yeah. my research is showing me here. When I look up all these numbers and I tell you all I can do to do this is look at the numbers. The science of it is telling me that I have to think of this as a, as a, as an actual like you said, uh, you need insulin. You need, you know, something that yeah. is a is a medical problem. Bring things back into balance. It treats somebody like you said a broken leg. So one of the one of the things that we learned in our coping skills was identifying your core beliefs. Like Tom was just talking about the beliefs that you develop as a child. Um, you really need to understand your own personal core beliefs. It is one of the most important things that you can do. They've also helped me to start changing some of my core beliefs, which have helped me progress as a human. These myths of suicide stand in the way of providing assistance for those who are in danger. By removing the myths, those responsible for the care and education of young people will be more able to recognize those who are at risk and provide the help that is needed. Myth. Talking about suicide or asking someone if they feel suicidal will encourage suicide attempts. Myth. Young people who talk about suicide never attempt or complete suicide. Myth. Attempted or completed suicides happen without warning. There are a lot of warning signs. Do some research. But the big ones include, uh, you know, if there has recently been a death or a suicide in the group or family. Yeah, yeah. People that struggle with depression, obviously. You know, I mean, if you have a history of suicide attempts, you are at risk. Surprise, surprise, yeah. surprise. It's, it's Giving away personal belongings, wow, yeah. you know, that's a big, big indicator. Myth. If a person attempts suicide and survives, they will never make a further attempt. Bullpucky. Fact. The problem is that we lack a complete understanding of suicide and know more about what is not known than what is fact. You know, you got to talk about it. You got to get it out there. You got to put it in the public sphere. You People have to be able to talk about it. Otherwise, nothing's going to change. It's going to stay in the closet and people are going to feel isolated. People are going to feel worse off, you know. But you're, you're not out there. You're not alone. Email us. Uh, come to the website. Leave us some comments. Currently, our email address is criticalcactuspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear your comments. Thanks, NASA. Well, I wanted to thank NASA real quick because long-duration missions beyond low Earth orbit require crews to adapt to increasingly autonomous operations in isolated and combined extreme environments. Crews are faced with other challenges such as long periods of heavy workload, separation from home, 
altered day and night light cycles, microgravity, carbon dioxide, radiation factors. It just goes on and on. So enter BHP, a behavioral health and performance element conducts and supports research to reduce the risk of behavioral and psychiatric conditions. We get a lot of what we know about mental health from NASA. So, thank you. Thanks, NASA. I never would have known that. That's kind of cool. Thank you guys for joining us for this episode. Sometimes the difficult and uncomfortable subjects are the ones that need talking about the most. Bye. Bye.